All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart. Let's talk puzzles, crossword puzzles. Whether you're a daily puzzler or a crossword novice or someone who simply has a crush on wool shorts, whether you find crosswords soothing or infuriating, and whether you fill out the Sunday crossword in 60 minutes or six days, now might be a good time to learn a little bit more about the history of America's favorite puzzle. Adrian Rafel is a poet and writer whose works have appeared in The New Yorker and in The Atlantic. She's also a lecturer at Princeton, and she has a new book out titled Thinking Inside the Box, Adventures with Crosswords and the Puzzling People Who Can't Live Without Them. Adrian, welcome to all of it. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start at the beginning, the invention of the crossword, December 1913. Who invented it and where did the idea come from? So it was an editor at the New York World, Arthur Wynn, and uh, it's Christmas time, and he's the editor of the fun supplement of the paper, and he's just like in a jam. He's like, well, I I have a special fun supplement. I need to, um, or special edition of it. I need to fill the pages of it. So the crossword was invented out of desperation because it's nice to have a big blank grid that fills a lot of space. He thought, oh, that this is great. I can put this big grid in the center of my thing. And then he thought, well, you know, I'll put clues so people can fill this grid in. And so, um, yes, so the crossword was born. So if he's the father of the crossword, the mother of the crossword might be Margaret Farrar. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, So Arthur Wynn, this original inventor, he actually got sick of the crossword pretty quickly. There's really (laughs) funny letters where, (laughs) yeah, he's um, he's like, yeah, this uh, he gets um, tired of it. There's funny letters to the paper where they say the crossword is getting really bad. It looks like nobody's overseeing this thing. And so he has a new secretary at the New York World. He sort of puts her on the case. And Margaret Fair's kind of mad at first she's like well I didn't sign up for this Um, but then she gets into it and then she makes the crossword she really if Wynn invented the crossword I would say that Margaret Farrer kind of makes the crossword um, the good puzzle that we know it today. What are some of the uh, things she did some of the standardizations that she put in place that remain today? Yeah, so she, um, so for, and and I'm talking about American style crosswords, I should say, when crosswords hop the pond over to Britain in the 20s, um, the British do a cryptic crossword, which looks and feels kind of different to the American style grid that we know and love over here. Um, uh, Both great kinds of puzzles, but Margaret Farrer, she standardized rotational symmetry crosswords so the whole um the grid has to be symmetrical and you can't have any um squares that go unchecked so all of the letters have to cross each other and also she standardized some of the conventions of the content that can go inside a crossword puzzle everything should pass the sunday breakfast test so when you're doing your sunday puzzle at the breakfast table there shouldn't be anything that sort of makes your stomach 
or that would make somebody uh, go a little bit that's a little racy. So that, I mean, puzzles, there are puzzles that fall out that nowadays, but that's um, one thing Margaret Farrar was really adamant about. This puzzle should be entertaining for all ages. Well, let's talk about crossword language. You describe, it's, it's called crosswordies by some folks. What's an example of crosswordies? So one example is um, things like, um, E S E or N N W E S like sort of um directional things, these compass roads like north northwest, east southeast, uh stuff that gets like they're letters that are super useful for filling in a grid, but you don't go around going, I you know, I'm describing the my journey from the grocery store back to my apartment in the east southeast direction. You don't you don't go about <laughs> saying these things, right? So you'd only go about saying them if you're in a cro- inside of a crossword. So words like that or words like A-E-R-I-E, which are, you know, an airy. So you might occasionally say it if you're looking for an eagle's nest, um, but you're not going to go around looking for airies as often as you might inside a crossword. I know. Nobody uses that much aloe. Aloe shows up (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Uh, Maybe the one, maybe the couple, one, one word that is, Maybe as common in the crossword as outside is Oreo. (laughs) Yes, you have a whole chapter in what you call the Oreo War. What was the Oreo War? And what do you think this conflict revealed about politics and puzzles? Yes, so Oreo, so O-R-E-O, it's like a fabulous crossword word, right? It's four letters long, so it fits inside kind of any grid, and it's got three vowels and a common consonant in it. So like, yes, so we just want Oreos. I mean, we want them all the time, but we want them in our puzzles. Um, but in the, like sort of fairly recently, brand names were taboo inside a New York Times crossword puzzle. And that was kind of like where a lot of the standards for American puzzles develop is through the New York Times crossword puzzle. And so you weren't allowed to clue any words with a brand name. That's really tricky for Oreo because the most, um, the, like, sort of only common way, or not at all common, but the only common way to clue it is through a Nabisco cookie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out Oreo is kind of a strange way, uh, or it's a very arcane prefix for a mountain, something like this. So you see all of these, like, it becomes like an in-joke among the crossword puzzlers that mountain combining form abbreviation is oreo okay so enter will shorts in the early 1990s um the editor of the new york times crossword um he takes over when eugene maleska the previous editor leaves um and so will shorts kind of upends crossword conventions by allowing brand names and contemporary slang into the puzzle. And I think the sort of greatest sign of this is when Oreo, if you look back in the backlog of clues, it flips from being clued as mountain combining form to finally cream filled cookie. My guest is Adrian Rafel. The name of her book is Thinking Inside the Box, Adventures with Crosswords and the Puzzling People Who Can't Live Without Them. When did um, What was the height of popularity for, for crosswords in the States, and why did it take off in such a big way? Well, I'll say two things. I think um, there was sort of the beginning height of popularity, which was the 
20s. And then it kind of we're kind of I, I have to say we're in a height of popularity right now. But the first um, real peak was in the 1920s. So 1924, Simon and Schuster. Actually, the very first book that the publishing house Simon and Schuster published was a book of crossword puzzles. The first book-length collection of crossword puzzles, and they were afraid it wouldn't sell. They published it under a dummy publishing imprint. The thing sold out overnight. It just sold, you know, over a hundred thousand copies um, in its first year alone. Um, it was a runaway hit. Crosswords become one of those, you know, like all those like strange 1920s fads, like dance marathons and flagpole sitting. Well, crossword puzzles are up there and people are making runs on dictionaries and libraries. Um, libraries are saying, no, 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 we have to limit our dictionary use. We're, and our other books are going stagnant because people are just using our reference books to look up stuff for these, you know, crossword puzzles. And it becomes this really sort of funny, um, big fad um, really overnight with the publication of this crossword puzzle book collection. So um, the 20s were a big jump. And then the crossword puzzle stuck around in the newspaper and stuff. And and then I would say now we really are in, Will Shorts has called this a golden age of crossword puzzles with the rise of crosswords on your phone, digital apps, there's more and more independent crosswords, more publications are building crosswords into their magazines and in print. So I would say that 1920s is the first spike and now we're kind of in another spike, especially as people are staying at home doing more crosswords. Given when crosswords were developed and their early history, you spend a lot of time, there's a whole chapter where you really talk about race and gender and inclusivity or the lack of it in crossword culture. What are some examples of how mainstream crossword words have continued, you know, to, to perpetuate some stereotypes or have been flat out offensive? And how has that changed? So what's amazing is that is really changing right now, um, you know, right as I was finishing the research for my book a few years ago, even or even between, um, you know, finishing up final drafts and revision, and now the crossword world is becoming really, it's become so aware of issues in inclusivity, which are, of course, not specific to the crossword world. They are reflective of culture at large. And then, but the crossword world has been um, really proactive in trying to promote more female constructors, people have noticed that there's a real significant um, lack of female constructors, especially um, in, in kind of all publications. And there have been a lot of efforts um, by publications that only publish um, female constructors or publications like um, that only that publish um, and promote queer crossword constructors and sort of collaboration directories. There's been a lot of um, proactive stuff happening right now in the crossword community. But, um, you know, in the past, I would say, you know, past couple of decades, or, you know, in the past, um, it just really, you, you were seeing sort of cringy clues for things like harem, like non-feminist group, just not not stuff that you really like words want. Like, thug, like thug, like the description for thug was kind of awful. Exactly. Or bimbo was kind of not super great. Um, yeah. And I think that um, it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a tricky balance because um, on the one hand, there are, you know, you have to think about trying to 
make sure that the cultural references appeal and to all um, readers of the crossword, but you don't, you never want to stigmatize or make anybody feel like they're not being reflected in the crossword. My guess is Adrian Rayful, the name of her book is Thinking Inside the Box, Adventures with Crosswords and the Puzzling People Who Can't Live Without Them. Is there any truth in your research? Did you find any truth to the idea that crosswords are actually good for your brain? So the short answer is crosswords cannot harm you. <laughs> you know, and they may help. Crosswords can't be bad and they might be good. Um, there have been studies done with groups um, that have shown that crosswords might actually help, you know, stave off dementia. There, it's really difficult to tell because people who gravitate towards crosswords might be a, a community who's like naturally inclined against dementia. Or are do if you're doing crosswords, you might also be doing other good things right. for your brain. Um, there are also studies that show that um, even though crosswords might kind of push off dementia because they allow your brain to keep training different parts of the brain, um, it might kind of just be a delayed onset thing like you could kind of hack your way around memory loss but the memory loss will catch up to you eventually but I think I will say that um, if you believe crosswords are good for your brain they'll do something for you in our last minute or so you tried your hand at making crosswords part of the book is chronicling your attempt to create a crossword yourself did you figure out what's the trick to creating a crossword <laughs> um, Allison, I think the trick is having a lot of time on your hands and being <laughs> in an enclosed space by yourself with not much else but books and I need to distract and immerse yourself in another project. So hey, that's about that's about the recipe I've got. Um, plus, I will say downloading some software, which is um, you know fairly relatively inexpensive um, and a one-time purchase and you download this software and it helps you make a grid symmetrically so you wow. can use graph paper but <laughs> so it's like free time indoor space and graph paper or sounds, a software that helps you do things symmetrically sounds perfect for this moment the name of the book is thinking inside the box adventures with crosswords and the puzzling people who can't live without them adrian rafel thank you so much for joining us today thanks so much for having me all of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting, offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.